Yeah, I left here in 1994, um, but Colleen ended up going to Spain in 1986. So she's the more mature missionary of the two of us. And but so, younger, but, but younger. younger. She's a few months younger. Um, but so I'm going to let, she's also, I discovered, the preacher of the pair. So she's going to kick off and then uh, I'm going to show a video and then, and then um, finish off with some last things. So go for it. It's a blessing for me to be here with you. I was so thankful and blessed by your celebration of our wedding. Your video arrived the day of our wedding, and we watched it that night. The only problem was I didn't get to eat any of the cake. But thank you. We've shared that video over and over again with our friends as we've traveled because we were so blessed, and we wanted our friends in the States, to, to know you a little bit and to share in that love that you shared with us. So thank you. I've been a missionary since 1986 with One Mission Society. And when I was 17 years old, is in, during a summer mission trip to Germany, it's when God broke my heart for Europe. I think we may have God loves all the world, that's probably overwhelming for us to embrace all that. And so God put Europe specifically on my heart. And I want to share this morning about that call and about not only the needs of Europe, because it's all the world, right? For God loves all the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus. So I'm going to share with you this morning from Acts 17. It's a passage about Paul, one of the first and great missionaries. And, and he's, it takes place in Europe. Let me get my notes out here just so I don't get lost. I'm in Acts chapter 17 if you want to follow along. And I'm going to start in verse 16. I'm reading from the ESV. So if, if my words don't match your words, maybe that could be why. Now while Paul was waiting for them, he's, he's on one of his missionary journeys. And he's been in Thessalonica, things were going well, and then the persecution began and he had to flee to Berea. And they got to Berea and they began to teach and to preach and the people embraced it and they studied the word and things were going well. And then the persecution came and they had to flee again. And this time Paul flees alone and he's by himself in Athens. It wasn't on the plan. So that's where we enter into the story. Now, while Paul was waiting for them, his, his co-workers at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know therefore what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And as I've reflected on this passage over the last few months, the relevance of this has really struck me because this last part sounds like 
the world today, people, when we share the gospel, their response often may be, what is this that you're talking about? This is something new. And this part, verse 21, now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I think that was an early version of Instagram, WhatsApp, Facebook, all those things. You know, that's our world, isn't it? So it's, it's relevant. And let's, let's see what Paul has to teach us through, through his, or what Luke is going to share with us. Let's see if I can, there we go. This is, these are photos from Athens. I had an opportunity to go there last year. Even though it's in ruins, it is an immense and impressive sight. If you've ever gone there to the Areopagus, it's up on top of this incredibly high rock that stands above the city of Athens. It's incredible. And so to try to imagine Paul there at a time when it was in its glory, to have the boldness to stand up and to speak the name of Jesus. I love that song we sang this morning, the name of Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. There's no other name. And even today, his message, somebody put it on a plaque, and it's there on Mars Hill. And so it continues to speak out. And the thing is that really grabs my attention is this one of the verbs in the first verse of this passage. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. It's a strong verb. It can be, he was stirred up. He was, oh, he was really upset. And I wonder if that's the way that we see. Because we can look at things like this and just be amazed and awed and, wow, look at what these people have, or I don't have that where I'm from. And that's okay. But what I see in Paul's vision is that he saw beyond all that to the spiritual need. And the question is, are we stirred up by what we see? Do we really see the spiritual need around us? When I think of Europe, some of the statistics that was shared with me in a presentation uh, several years ago by a man named Marvin Oxingham. Now, they're not his research, but he lives and works in Europe. He says that Europe has the lowest percentage of evangelicals or people that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ of any other world region. I don't think people realize that. Europe also has the lowest percentage of growth forecast for the church of any region in the world. It has the highest percentage of agnostics. Not atheists, but agnostics. There's, there's a vague belief in something but not necessarily personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's also the region of the world considered as having the greatest resistance to Christianity. That stirs me up. That stirs me up. And what we see what Paul, what happened when he got stirred up, it says he ran at first to the people that were the believers. Hey, do you see what's going on? Have you looked to see what's going on in the world around you right here in the town where we live? And then he ran out to the streets. And he began to talk to them about Jesus 
and the resurrection. But there's another little word that really grabs my attention. It says, now, while Paul was waiting for them. This wasn't even on the plan. This wasn't on his itinerary. He could have been here after two towns with persecution and said, whew, an opportunity to just lay back and chill. But Paul was busy seeing at all times. He saw the need, and even though he probably was exhausted and glad to be away from the persecution in some ways, yet he couldn't be still in his spirit and his heart as he saw the need of the people of Athens. That really challenges me. How many times do we walk and go about our daily life and we just kind of breeze by things and we don't really see? The first time I went to Ukraine, I did not want to go. That was when the war had broken out. And just weeks before I went, it's when the the passenger plane was shot down over Ukraine. Of course, I was going to be flying there. And I thought, "Uh uh-uh, uh-uh. But I knew what happened to Jonah when he tried to run the other way. So I did get on the plane, and I went. And I went going to meet with the team in Ukraine and to look at their discipleship curriculum and see what it was going and see if I could help them and encourage them. That was my primary agenda. But part of that was that they wanted me to experience English camp. And so I went to English camp and was placed with a young woman. I didn't know it at the time. It was Brent's fault. He had made this decision. But he gave me a young woman to counsel and to speak English with who came as an aggressive atheist. Now, that was a hard pill to swallow when I knew that my heart had been pretty grumpy about having gone to Ukraine. But that's where God needed me to understand that I need to see at all times and be ready. And God helped me to see this young woman who was so broken and so bitter and so hurting to be able to just try to offer her the love of Jesus Christ. She's in that picture with a smile on her face. That in itself was incredible, to see a smile on her face. She didn't come to faith in Christ. I think Brent has shared about her. But we need to be ready to see at all times because there are opportunities and there are people everywhere we go day after day. And then it goes on. So Paul, verse 22, standing in the midst of the Areopagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Paul took time to really not only see the people and get stirred up, he looks and he he pays attention to who they are. And he takes time, I think, to kind of know their world. And we're going to see that even more as we continue on in the passage. But it's important that that's one way. When we look to see the context, and then we are willing to love the people, incredible things begin to happen in the way that we're able to share about Jesus and the resurrection. Just being here in New Zealand, everyone asks me, one of the first questions, is this your first time in New Zealand? Yes. Well, what do you think? It means a lot to you that I'm paying attention. 
and that I see the context. And that's one way we share love with people, to say, I see you, I see your world, I see who you are, I've noticed these things that, you, that are a part of your life. I'm paying attention. It's like little kids. What do little kids say? Look at me. Look at me. I, I don't think we get away from that, even as we get older. Look at me. Look at me. We, we want to be noticed. Not because we're egocentric, but it's because we're people. And we have a God who's created us for relationship. And so when I look at this, this image, this is from Spain. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure which church I took this photo in. But this is a crucifixion, and it may move our hearts to see Christ, Jesus. We sang about that this morning, Jesus giving his life for us on the cross. And we spoke about that as we took communion. Not my will, but thine. But because this is in Spain, this speaks to me in a different way. When I see this and know it's from Spain, I get stirred up. Because in Spain, almost always, Jesus is dead on the cross. Just imagine if that's where Holy Week ended. That stirs me up. Because they don't have all of the good news. Jesus rose from the dead. And because he rose from the dead, we have life eternal. Life abundant. And we have a relationship with a personal living Savior. Do you see with that kind of detail? Then Paul goes on. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. And here comes the good news. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope and that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed God's offspring. The thing that I notice, that as Paul takes this time to really look and to see and to notice and to pay attention to the details of the people and their, their context, he, God helps him to see a connection. Something that he can use that lets the people know, I have seen your world. I've looked at the things that you have and what you do. I've taken notice. And he uses that then to be able to make a bridge to talk to them. You know that one idol, that one statue you have to the unknown God? I want to I talk to you about that. It's incredible how God can help us to, to make those connections with people when, when he's 
when we are willing to really look. And that happened to me when I was living in Spain. Spain is not an easy place to share the gospel. And I had a neighbor, and I'd been burdened, and I was praying and began to go out on walks with her, and I would try to be salty in my conversations. But I knew I had that unsettled sense that you need to do more, Colleen. This is, you know, you got to do more. There's, you need to offer her more. But I was, sometimes I, I ask people to pray for boldness. And finally I knew the connection. In Christmas time at Spain, everyone, almost everyone, sets up a little nativity set. They call them Bethlehems. And this is a little simple Spanish Bethlehem, a Belen. And I, I just said to my neighbor one year, would you, would you like to get together? And we could read the Christmas passages out of the Bible. Well, it's interesting. People think they know the stories until they actually read it. And so the first week we met together and we read in Matthew the passage about Joseph. And she was struck by his immediate obedience. And I watched God begin to soften her heart. And we, she always had me pray. And so then the next week we met again. And this time we read in Luke. And we read the passage of, of the angel's announcement to Mary. And the Lord helped me to just listen as we read together and, and let her respond to the text. But at the end, I said to her, do you understand, do you realize that just as God saw Mary and said to her that she was highly favored, God loves you and favors you as well? She said, no, no, that cannot be true because Mary is here. And she put her hand down on the floor and I am here. I said, no. God sees you. God loves you and favors you. And praise God, she received that word. And it opened up her heart because she was hungering for God, just like this passage said. She was seeking to have faith and to know Jesus in a way that, that was more meaningful in her life. And that was what opened her heart to realize God wanted relationship with her. And that was December, and since that January, we began to study the Bible together week after week and to share and to pray and to worship. And any time I go back to Spain now, when we get together, she says, are we going to study the Bible and pray? doesn't matter where we are or what we're doing. That, that's supposed to be a part of our visit together. So I just, you know, God can help us. If we don't know how to speak and how to share, look carefully and ask God, where's the connection? What can I use to begin this conversation? And then Paul goes on. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And as I've reflected on this passage, these verses here, I came under conviction we talk about the cross. We offer people the good news of salvation and the forgiveness of their sins through the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross. But I don't know if we talk enough about the fact that Jesus is coming again. 
Today's the first Sunday of Advent in the Christian year, and the Advent it means coming. And so we think about Christ coming as a baby, but he is coming again. We live in perpetual Advent. Christ is coming, and just as God met that promise, he's going to meet that promise again that Christ will return. And first of all, we need to be ready. People need to know not to be frightened because there's no reason to be frightened. We have all we need to be ready. We need to receive that good news of Christ. And Paul says, repent and turn. And I love this image. Uh, Brent came to visit me this, this year in Manchester, and we went to Chester. And in the cathedral, they had this this image for during Easter time. Isn't it cool? I mean, bodies rising up out of the floor. Now, I don't know if it's going to be that way, but at least it made everybody think. Jesus is coming again. We need to preach the full gospel, the full good news. And that good news makes a difference not only in being prepared and ready. It, we're people of hope. And we live in a hopeless world for many people. And this is a photo from Galway in the Republic of Ireland. Faith in Ireland, Christian faith, is diminishing greatly. When Brent and I were there this summer, over and over the believers, they, would, they said the same thing in separate occasions. They would describe the Republic of Ireland as this, they would say, this is a dark, dark place spiritually dark dark place spiritually people are not even open and so as we met with our co-worker there in sat in Galway in this beautiful scene as the sun was setting three of us were impressed to sit down and pray and to pray with hope because we have a risen savior because we have a risen Savior. And this is where the kingdom of God is present. And we are the people of the kingdom of God. And we bear that light. And we bear the words of life because we know Jesus Christ, who gave his life and rose again. And then now as we close the passage, there's one more thing that stood out to me. Now in verse 32. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead... Some mocked. And that's going to happen, right? There's going to be people that don't believe. And the young woman, the, the, that antagonistic atheist girl, at the end of camp, I shared the gospel with her. She was open to our love. She was open to recognize and, and enjoy the words of worship that we sang. But when I said, and Jesus died and rose again so that you can have eternal life, she said, mm, nope, this life is it. When I die, I die. And that's the end. As hard as it was for me to hear that, some people are going to respond that way. And they did for Paul as well. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from the, their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Two people named, two people who became disciples, followers of Jesus. When you look around 
Do you get stirred up by what you see? Are you ready to see at all times? <laughs> Do you really see the context and love the people so much so that then you can ask God to help you for the connections? Are you sharing with them not only about the cross, but also the resurrection? And finally, who are the individual people that God has put in your life? Is it a neighbor? These are two women that when I was in Spain the last four years, God put into my life. One was a, a, a young woman. She was uh, married to a, a Spaniard, but she's from Scotland. And she had been in a group that was planning a church. And then all the missionaries and full-time Christian workers left, had to leave Spain for different reasons. And there she was alone, a lay person with a group of people meeting in her home, new Christians. What was she going to do? And I was asked to go and mentor her. And I would have to take public transit two hours to get to her. It was really kind of cool, though, because it would take two hours to get there. It was so late at night, I'd have to spend the night at their home. And it just gave us incredible amounts of time to just talk and to pray together and to study and encourage one another. And the beautiful thing is, when somebody becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, then they become also our friends. And just this fall, she got so bold that in the town Facebook page, she thought, I'm going to just put an invite to the town. I'm going to start a Bible study in my home, and I'm just going to invite them and see what happens. I know. She got some pretty nasty responses. But two women came to Bible study, and one of them is now a sister in Christ. And the other woman is that neighbor that I began to study those Christmas narratives with. And she has become a dear friend. And just recently, I've had a privilege of, of being a part of her life. Thank goodness for WhatsApp and those kind of things where we stay in touch as she's going through a difficult time in her life right now. And I'm able to, we're able to walk that journey together through prayer. Who are those individuals that God wants you to disciple to begin that journey with and to share Jesus Christ. I'm going to let Brent come up. I got a goodie, didn't I? Um, what I'm just going to do is just show uh, a five-minute video. Some of you know um, Caleb and, and um, Siobhan Young, who were here and now they've gone to Australia. They came over to Ukraine and, and put together a little video for us just to kind of show the ministry of, of what's going on. So I'm just going to let my uh, teammates and, uh, and my Ukrainian friends describe the ministry to you. Oh, I need to click the clicker. This is a country with a lot of history, a thousand years of Christian history. It's a country that suffered a lot. So all of those things kind of provide a background uh, to a deeper thinking about life, the meaning of life. The students I work with are very unique from the other people I've met around the world. Uh, they are very uh, nationalistic. Uh, they believe in their country and they believe that they can make a difference in the world in the future. I think a lot of Ukrainians would say 
uh, I'm a Christian because I was born in Ukraine. Ukraine's a Christian country. Although there were 70 years of Soviet atheism, so there's plenty of people that still kind of have more of a scientific atheistic view and would, you know, are skeptical of anything religious. Uh, there is uh, some generation actually which is, uh, was born in the Soviet Union and their views on religion and on faith is a little bit different. My generation, we grew up in, in free Ukraine where like Christianity weren't condemned as much as in Soviet Union. But still, like, I think we are influenced by how our parents grown up. I just see a lot of potential for, for a lot of these young people that we're working with, especially when they get turned on to the Lord. It's exciting to see them get passionate about you know, sharing their faith with others or, 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 or growing themselves. Our ministry kind of begins with uh, an English focus. Most of the people we work with are university students from the age of 18 to 25. We've used English language just because that's an easy way to connect with a lot of people here. We have uh, English camps in the summertime. It's a wonderful environment where they can just spend 10 days with a foreigner. Some of them walk away with a new understanding of God, a better English, and the excitement to come back to next year's camp. We love to see them come initially just because they want to practice their English, but by the end many of them become quite spiritually interested. Our English clubs, that's another way we've had invitation into several universities. So they're English, again, an opportunity for students who already know English to practice their English. I stopped believing God in some period of time in my life. Then we went to English club that brand leads and I went there like probably more than a year and then I went to English camp and that's how I started like <laughs> my new traveling I would say. Those that are more spiritually interested will um, organize life groups for them. Yeah life group is the phrase that we use to describe church but not church like most people think. Usually when people hear like Christianity they they think about building and, and uh, rules. And when they hear about how our life groups goes, that we don't have those strict rules that they don't understand. We're just friendly people that if you want, they, we, might, we can tell you about God. But if you don't want, we, we will just try to be a friend. We would like to tell our supporters, thank you for years of faithfulness, for prayer and friendship. I'm very aware that there is a whole team of people who have given sacrificially and financially and have got a sense that God's calling them to impact Ukraine. So any story we share, anything that's done, I mean, it's their stories too. It'd be neat to see in heaven, they'll meet Ukrainians that are there because of their partnership. Prayer support is essential. I think it's really important to uh, get all the prayer updates that um, Randy and Shelley and Brent and Kevin send out. They can support it by helping fund these missionaries and then also if they do choose to come here. There may be people that you know who would like to have the experience of coming for camp. Every summer we recruit teams to come and help at English camp and you don't have to be an English teacher to do that. You just come, uh, if you're willing to let God love Ukrainians through you, that's the, really the only requirement. You speak English like a native speaker and want to love Ukrainians, uh, come, we can use you. Jesus actually told us only to do a few very simple things. He said, love God, you know, love your neighbors, 
and make disciples and that's kind of formed the core of our ministry and if we can see that re reproduced in the lives of Ukrainians then we'll let loose the, uh, a reproducing cycle that will transform this community. I know we're over time, but I just wanted to share one story. Can I, have you got time to squeeze in one little story? Um, I'm just going to go quickly through all of this. Oh, come to camp. That's the first thing. Okay, um, some of you are young. Some of you are old. We take everybody up to the age of 85. Okay, so if you're between like 17 and 85 and can run and play and love and sing and speak English... You can come, so talk to me about that later. Um, I just want to get through... Oh, this was Vadim. That's not the story. But I like this, what he said. This is how I began my new travellings. I'm travelling with him. Like every week we meet. We, we just talk. I have to pay for the coffee, but that's okay. Um, he's, he wants to be a businessman. You know, we're just... In a, Working through what does it mean in a corrupt society to be a Christian, you know, as a single guy with all of the questions that he has. And I just love this word, travelings. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because we don't use that word usually. We would might say walk with Jesus or something, but I like the way that non-native English speakers use English words the way we don't. But they capture something. And, it, and it's just travelling. Are you travelling? And, and who are you travelling with? Can I ask that question? Who are you traveling this Christian life with? I hope with some people. Um, but this is what I want to share about. One of the things, like this is all what we're doing for just making disciples, but we became very aware that most of the people who have become Christians and what, in our kind of network of groups, we have about six groups, I think. I'm not sure what's happened since I've left Ukraine now, um, since June. But, um, but we realized that... that that if this is going to be a movement, it's got to be Ukrainians sharing their faith with Ukrainians. And we've encouraged and nudged and cajoled and, and inspired, hopefully, them to do it. And, and, and I just want to share this little story. Because really, they, they're just at the beginning stages of trying to break through and become bold. How many people speak Russian here? You got it? You worked it out? Um, this is um, Ilona on the left, and she has a sign saying, So... Uh, change the bad for the good. And Yulia, who's another one of, in our, one of our leaders, um, she says, So um, give up the bad and take the good. What are they doing? Well, they're standing in a park near a pathway that comes out of an underground um, uh, metro station, like the underground train. I don't actually know the dynamics of this because I started doing this since I left. But every Saturday morning, they're there and with these signs. I don't know if they yell at people I don't know if they, like, grab people. Anyway, they, just, they stand there and people come up. What are they doing? They get people to write down on a piece of paper something bad in their life, something difficult. I'm not sure what people are writing. I want to give up something in my life. And they put it in one of those little boxes. And then they take something out of the other box. What is it? It's a scripture verse. And they've had some people go, ah, whatever, you know, different reactions. But they were saying, you know, some people are just in tears. This is exactly what I needed to hear today. You know, Ukrainians, as, as uh, my teammate said in the video, they have some sense, they have a religious history. Some are definitely atheist, but many they're open to something, and God's just using that um, 
in their lives. I thought it was kind of cool, you know. This is another thing they do. This says, well, you can read the word free in English. I don't know why they put free in English, but it's still chick chudies. This is, the, this is the, um, the chair of miracles. So they just have this sign, and people come, what are you doing? Oh, well, we're praying for people. Have you got a need? Sit down in the chair, and we'll pray for you. Um, they've had some physical healings, they said on Facebook, but I don't know exactly what they didn't say. I don't know how radical, um, what God's doing there. Um, now, this is kind of people going zoom, 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 backwards and forwards. Maybe they'll never see them again. Um, and I was kind of thinking, is this really that effective long term? But it's sowing seeds. But then I just want to share this. They have lots of conversations with people after, you know, and, and as the, the morning goes on. But see these little, um, I think I've got a little thing here. See these little, like, shops along here? One of them's owned by a nominal Muslim family. And the little boy came running over and said, I want you to pray for me. He sat down in the chair and they prayed. Well, that's turned into our friend Vitali meeting with father and son. This is the boy. And uh, I don't know if they're studying the Bible yet, but they are following up. He's purposely followed up with them. I don't know what, this, what the results of this will be, but the one thing I do know is that everybody who's been down there, they are now bold. You know, they've got some sense of, I can actually do this. I can't, I've stepped out of my comfort zone, put myself out there, and shared. So I just thought I'd leave that little story with you. Um, these were the questions that Colleen asked. Just have a read through them. How are you doing with these? As you walk around in Hamilton, wherever you live, what are you seeing? When you see your neighbours, hear them screaming and arguing or whatever next door, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? Um, what bridge can you make with them? Um, what connection? Ask God. You know, I've had situations similar to Colleen, you know, where God just gives you an idea. And many of you have too, I know, I've heard your testimonies. Um, so this is us, this is the new improved version of us. If you have the old, some of you have this on your refrigerator, but not this one, just with me. Well, that's the boring one. You can keep it because it might be valuable. You know, who knows? But this is the rookie card of us. So if you want the rookie card of us to go on your refrigerator, if you don't know anything about missionaries on your refrigerator, you've got to get one. I know some of you young people, you're not sure what this is all about. Get a missionary on your refrigerator and just pray. pray. God bless Brent and Colleen. You may not know what we're doing, but God knows and, and what, what we need that day. But if you want to pray more knowledgeably, I know some of you already get our monthly newsletter, but I've, I've stuck down the back. Um, you can see Elska waving there. She has the, these prayer cards, and there's a little sheet where you can sign up for Weaver's Wanderings. used to be Brent's Babblings. Okay, now it's Weaver's Wanderings. Um, why do you do silly things like that with those making names sound weird? Anyway... Weaver's Wanderings, every month it'll come out with, with just some things about what Colleen's up to, what I'm up to, uh, what we're up to going together back to Ukraine. We won't be back to Ukraine until February, end of February. So we're travelling in New Zealand until January 8th, something like that, we fly out. Then we're a month and a half in the States, um, visiting some people there and doing some things there and family stuff, and then back to Ukraine. So um, I would just want to say you're part of that team that I was referring to on the video. You really are, you know. I mean, we, we go out there, we may be the one or twos that are out somewhere and somewhere else in the world. But I'm, I know that this is 
a team effort, and, it, and you're part of that. Um, so thank you so much.